Hello and welcome to HIPod, essential listening for the business of healthcare. I'm Ploy Radford, the editor of Health Investor UK magazine. In this episode, you can listen to a panel session from our Private Equity and Healthcare Conference, which took place on the 1st of March in association with law firm Charles Russell Speechleys. The subject of this panel session was what is driving private equity players in today's market, and sat on the panel were Ruben Bagabati, Principal at AMP Capital, Claire Connell, Managing Director at Connell Consulting, and Sam Gray, Partner at Apposite Capital. Michael Lingens, Partner at Charles Russell Speechley's Chaired. investors, both China and America, who in, in what is quite a volatile um, 
international climate, see UK healthcare as a sort of safe haven for money. And um, we've also seen infrastructure players looking at, at the sector um, because they are long-term predictable revenue, state-funded. Um, they're always going to be people with own disabilities. The average length of stay is very long. Therefore, you don't, you're not exposed to the same sort of volatility of occupancy that you can get in um, older people's services. And, um, and so we, we think that this, the specialist care um, market will, will continue to see significant demand um, as, as the life expectancy of, of people with uh, mental health problems, learning disabilities, um, and, um, and acquired brain injury and neuro rehab um, are, are um, they're increasing over time, so it means that you know that you're going to have that sort of, um, in many cases, um, people are going to be there for the rest of life or for a reasonable amount of time until they can step down into a lower level of support. Um, so, so we see um, uh, sustained demand um, for, for, for specialist care services. Looking at the individual um, areas, there's always been good demand for learning disability services, but we, we, we particularly believe that autism services are seeing greater growth um, due to um, growth in the prevalence and life expectancy of people with uh, autism, the complexity of the needs um, of those who survived premature birth 20 years ago and now are going through the system with much more challenging and um, behavioural and complex needs than ever before. Um, ABI Neuro, the level demand there, the challenge is that um, in the ABI Neuro market, um, the funding can be, can be quite tricky um, in, in some geographical areas, and it is one of those, those um, client groups that can fall between the gaps in the, in the funding priorities in, in, um, in some, some CCGs. Um, and we, we were certainly aware of a number of providers that, that um, have great services, lots of referrals, but, but they've had some, some some tricky situations with funding panels where, 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 where uh, people are languishing in their, their current session whilst funding um, is delayed. So overall, we, we think it's an attractive market and, um, and we're seeing a, a wider range of different investors looking at the space. But the American investors in particular see it as a, as, as an, a market that, that doesn't come with the same, um, the same risk of um, of ambulance chasing lawyers that the American um, services have, and and um, and therefore uh, it's considerable sort of international demand to invest in these markets. Thank you, Claire. And, um, so, so are the features of the market pretty much the same across each of the streams you've identified? As learning, dif learning disabilities, challenging behaviour, ABI, mental health. Is it broadly the same, or, or the differences between the two? Some investors prefer to avoid. The investors prefer to avoid um, the children's services market because they can't get their investment committee around the risk element and, and they know that children make headlines if something goes wrong. Um, learning disabilities is, is generally um, in, in demand. Um, there has been a, a, a greater push towards supported living services and, and that's partly due to um, the wish by, um, by funders to, to deregister services to, to meet their own sort of um, their own, sort of, their own sort of deadlines for increasing um, um, the amount of supported living. But the, the interesting thing is what, what it's actually resulted in is increased demand for residential services because when, when, once there's a push for lots of uh, residential services to be registered, it pushes up the occupancy of all the um, residential services. And the reality is that quite a lot of people want to set can only be in residential services due to uh, mental capacity, 
um, a strong push by family members uh, for them not to be in inpatient socialising with living patients, which some are. And, and also, it's, it's, um, you have the issue of, of if you have people challenging behaviour, there are just more people on site uh, to help. Um, and also, from a staffing point of view, it, it, many, many people working in learning disabilities autism services like to have colleagues. And there's supported living. You don't, have a, don't work with colleagues all the time, whilst you do in a, in a sort of more collegiate environment of working in, in residential service. So, so I would say that the, that the, the major differences um, would be um, the mental health market is, is, is not as mainstream as, as, as the learning disabilities market. There's a much greater focus either on, on um, um, people with chronic uh, long-term um, um, conditions that have been treatment resistant. Um, and, and so in some ways, the mental health market behaves more like the ADI and the market in, in terms of the, 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 the flow of um, referrals. And, and, but generally, um, we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing demand across all of those, but greatest demand for learning disabilities and out of that autism services. So, as you've identified, Apposite Capital is a, uh, a traditional private equity firm in, in, in many ways. We have the traditional uh, models of investing in businesses for, for six years, um, and creating value within those businesses over that period and then exiting uh, to a, a larger uh, consolidator or, or another private equity house. Um, I think, unlike many private equity players, we focus only on healthcare, um, predominantly in the UK. Um, we, we will invest in all the healthcare subsectors, um, and because of that sort of uh, uh, focus, we will also be a lot more flexible around our deal structuring in order to give us uh, a wide range of opportunities. So, unlike others, you know, we don't just do buy and builds, we don't just do um, LBOs, we'll look at growth capital models, we'll look at minority investments, um, we'll look at deal structures that you know, maybe combine some of those elements, um, and that allows us to access the most interesting and most rapidly growing opportunities, um, as well as do sort of more traditional private equity investments as well. Um, we're above everything sort of healthcare oriented and, and growth oriented, so we're about uh, a fundamental business. And we're about growing a business by a factor of you know, three, four, five times from when we invest. Um, but as I said, we'll do that in a number of different ways. Um, Swanton was very much a, a buy and build story. Um, you know, for the reasons that Claire has outlined, we were interested in, in the, the specialist care sector. But I think our, our rationale behind Swanton was actually much more about micro factors than macro factors. Um, we have worked with a guy called Jerry Barica, um, who was the founder of, of LifeWays, a supported living business over, over 10 years. Um, he was a, a board member at By the Bridge Fostering Company where I was involved, um, and uh, he was someone that you know, we, we rely on as an advisor in this sector, and it was very much his thesis that the, there, were, there remained a consolidation opportunity. Uh, specialist uh, care. There remained a lot of tiny businesses, um, owner managed businesses, a lot of retirement sales becoming available. 
and therefore it's about you know, putting businesses together and you can still access small businesses at reasonable multiples and create a business of scale. Um, but then the, op the exit opportunities for such a business of scale are becoming more and more uh, as new, new players enter the market. Um, Funders, we're going to talk some more about some of, some of that, but the, the number of exit opportunities and, and people who would fund an exit is increasing. So that, that seemed to us quite an attractive thing to do um, to, to create a, a business uh, to, to exit. Um, and you know, we spent quite a long time working with Jerry looking for a, a platform. Um, he also introduced us to a guy called Gary Cross, who worked with him at Lifeways, um, who, who's now the CEO of Swanton. Um, and with the two of them, we, we sort of evaluated a number of um, different opportunities. I think the reason we, we ended up transacting on Swanton was that, uh, although it wasn't a, a sort of a perfect asset, no assets are, but it, but it very much had the, the bones of what we needed, which was a sort of semi-national infrastructure, some good regional clusters, um, a good diversity of, of business mix and capabilities, the ability to look after some quite challenging behaviours, um, and frankly, the ability to you know, improve the business, create some value by uh, improving up the operational performance of the business, but also then, uh, and most importantly, to, to bolt on other smaller businesses uh, to the platform, and, and that might involve just small single homes in geographies where we operate, or might involve uh, buying a, a group in a particular building and creating a new cluster and sort of infilling between the services we operate. Um, so the, the model there is obviously one of inquisitive growth and rapid growth. Um, and we're, we're sort of now at the phase where we're beginning to transact on some of those bolt-ons. We, we, we invested in the summer of last year. So we spent the first six months really bolstering the management team at Swanton. Um, brought in not only Jerry and Gary, but quite a lot of other people that they've worked with in previous lives. So the whole management team and capabilities have been strengthened, particularly around uh, sort of business development, uh, M&A, uh, and, and developing supportive living as well. Um, at present, Swanton's predominantly residential, 23 freehold properties around the, the country. It's a real opportunity to create more of a pathway in the regions where we do operate. Uh, and in fact, to just you know, be more representative of the market in terms of having some supportive living in the portfolio. Um, so right. so another so it's, it's, it's adult services business, right? Adult, adult no, services. Business no. no. And, and it's pure, is it elderly, <coughs> but a challenging behaviour doesn't go any further on the huge spectrum than that? There's, there's a, there, there are some services that have some ABI um, patients, there are some services that are you know, more focused on the, the higher acuity, um, but the sort of core is the same system. And, and the, it's, so it's, 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 a, it's a buy and build proposition in the way you describe it, you feel service broadening, mm -hmm. as Christian we could describe putting all the, all the um, you know, features of, of the buy and build strategy Six years, like August, or, or something slightly different. Yeah, no, very similar. Um, you know, I think timing is everything, so you have to keep an eye on the sort of uh, macroeconomic climate, political climate, you know, the, the M and A markets, and, and that will inform some of the 
the, the exit horizon, and then in addition, you know, we in particular want to reach a certain level of critical mass and scale that will be of interest to uh, acquirers, uh, and you know that that will take a certain amount of time, which will depend on what acquisitions are available and how quickly we can execute them. So, but look forward to six years as a good guide. Great, thank you, Ruben. <laughs> Perhaps, maybe I'll start by just explaining who ANZ Capital is, because I'm not sure everyone would, would know. Uh, so our parent company, AMP, is an Australian large uh, financial group with the investment management arm, uh, have about 150 billion US, uh, and the management across a range of strategies. Uh, I sit in the infrastructure team, we've got about 15 billion US which puts us into uh, the top 10 on infrastructure uh, managers globally. Uh, we are based predominantly in the Northern Hemisphere. We've got offices through the US, uh, London, and Middle East, and Asia, and Australia. Uh, and we, in the infrastructure team, uh, are, I think when people hear infrastructure, typically think toll roads, utilities, core infrastructure, uh, that's not what, what we do. Uh, MP has a 25 year uh, track record in infrastructure historically, that was the infrastructure market, uh, but it has moved on. We're more in the sort of core plus space or optimistic value add space. So we look at owning, operating businesses, uh, but operating businesses with real assets. Uh, so when we think about infrastructure, we think about provision of essential services, uh, and so in health specifically, we are looking at real asset backed providers of healthcare services. So we have four sectors that we, we focus on uh, transport. So in the UK, we own the East Bradford Airport, Newcastle Airport, we own some of the rolling stock company, we own energy businesses, we own uh, communication businesses, and we're invested in health. Uh, and I think you know, a couple of people have mentioned through the course of today, and I think it's a, it's a fairly common perception that infrastructure funds are new to you know, investing in health. Uh, you know, that may be true of the industry as a whole, but AMP has been investing in, in health for the last uh, it's over 15 years. So our first elderly care investment in Australia was in 1999. Uh, we own the largest uh, for profit elderly care player uh, in that market and our strategy if you like is to take that know-how that has been developed in that particular market and look to apply that in other analogous developed markets so we're an OECD fund focused on developed markets uh, and we recently acquired the regard business uh, in the UK and we've had a team uh, in, in London looking at health assets for the last two years uh, before we found the first uh, opportunity that we were, were willing to pull the trigger on. So that's a little bit of background to sort of what we're looking to do and we're looking to write equity checks in the region of 100 million to 500 million uh, US. Uh, we're, we're not a real estate investor, so we're not looking to buy podcasts. Uh, we are looking to buy businesses with with real assets, so Regard, for example, owns about 85% of its real estate, or the 160 services that it has. 
and that is a key component to our uh, to our to our strategy. And that's partly because we like the defensive characteristics which owning the real assets bring, but also you know, we think in the health space that ownership of of the freehold gives you strategic flexibility to refurbish, to comply with your regulatory standards, to build capacity, to add capacity. That's a lot easier when you control the real estate. So it's partly because of what our investors are looking for from defensive assets, but it's also partly because we think strategically it has certain attractions for our company. Okay. Um, so because quizzing a few points there. So, um, so, so is it the certainty or the is it the certainty of income in, in your view that, that, that makes it attractive as a, as a, as a, as a play? Because I mean, as Kai pointed out, you were talking in the specialist care sector of people that are very often for long periods of time. Is, is it that and the fact you've got the public purse behind it? Are, are, are those the two key factors or are there other factors that make it well, as a working structure? I think I, I would sort of even, I would take a step higher and say, well, what is an essential service? I think it's hard to argue in this day and age for a developed economy that health is not an essential service. So I think that is where we start. And really what that means is we're looking at the quality of demand. Uh, and the quality of demand is obviously linked to the payer, it's also linked to the, the demographic trends which sit behind that. But that doesn't necessarily mean, and but healthcare, as I think we, we all know, is int intensely local. So in some markets, private pay and some niches, private pay is attractive and you've got very high quality of demand. In other markets, you'd say you know, that's not the case, and the same is true for, for government payers. I think in the UK uh, specialist care, the LD space, where we got six, you, we, we did spend quite some time, or has spent quite some time, and Claire helped us on this, uh, looking at the historic trends in, in, in funding and, and concluded you can contrast that to some other parts of the adult social care budget, which through the years of austerity uh, saw more substantive cuts than, than the LD space did. And I think that quality of the demand, the quality of, of, of the payer, uh, is also intensely local. So we spent a lot of time looking at the individual local authorities who fund this business and what was their financial position what was their ability to continue to fund this, and, and in fact, what was their local dynamics. So you've got to look a bit at the macro, but also at the micro to get to a point where you conclude that it's, it's got the right characteristics for, for our type of capital. Because I just said that in Australia, you, you own an elderly care company, because I the thought that elderly is very different, isn't it, different dynamics, because the length of stay on average is two to three years, and so you've got a constant churn, and, and it's, less prioritised in this country than, than in the specialist sector because of you know, the pressures on public funding. So presumably that makes it in the UK slightly less attractive or, or, or whatever it is. Uh, so, I mean, Australia has a, has a different funding model. Uh, it has you know, a larger component of government funding in the system. Uh, yet it still is a fundamentally constrained government model. Uh, 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 so Opal, Facilities in Australia are typically larger than the, the facilities are in the UK, they're more like 120 beds plus. It's got 70 facilities, about 7,000 beds. And there we, we've got a development pipeline of about 25 
new sites. So the ability to probably potentially double the number of beds uh, for the next five years. Acquisitions also present an opportunity. So uh, I think a lot of those themes are common to elder care in the UK. Similar demographics, similar constrained government funding model, players looking for growth through adding new capacity in the UK, turning towards the private pay model for, for new capacity because of those funding challenges. Uh, so we are looking at opportunities in the elder care space, both in the UK and in, in Europe. Uh, we haven't found the right one yet, but we're continuing to look. Okay, and um, so in investment criteria, I mean, you, you're part of a large, large uh, insurance company, internally, do you have the same, without giving exact numbers away, but I mean, do you have the same pressures in terms of IRR and investment returns as the, the, the traditional fund APRs now? So you are, we have we have two parent companies, we've got AMP, it's a large financial company, we've also got MUTVs for Japanese uh, bank, who are a minority shareholder. But the majority of the money that's invested on the infrastructure equity platform is from third party LPs. So we have a similar fund structure to a private equity fund, and we have the same fund. And we have some other uh, managed accounts and some other investment vehicles, but the vehicle that's focused on health in the UK is a, uh, a closed entertainment fund. Uh, so you know, we, we share some of the, the investment characteristics of, of more traditional private equity funds. Uh, however, we probably have slightly different return characteristics. Uh, not wholly different, but you know, there, there certainly are, uh, from our investors, a expectation that what we are investing in is fundamentally defensive, it's fundamentally in essential service, and therefore that plays through in its return expectation. Uh, but you know, we're not you know, investing you know, life insurance money or single digit IRRs. It's not the And, and um, sort of investment horizons, I mean, Sam mentioned four to six years, which would be, is your similar or slightly longer? We're operating in the same 10 year fund world, so I don't think there's a significant, I mean, again, I think it's one of those sorts of uh, misapprehensions about the infrastructure that, that people are. Investing this to hold it for for a hundred years is it's, it's simply not the case with the sort of fund structure that the majority of investors are looking at. So there might be slight differences in 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 in, in timing, but they're not they're still within that same fund construct. So I'm conscious I've been asking all the questions so far now. This is supposed to be an interactive session, um, ladies and gents. Um, contributions, please. Question for Claire. Um, you mentioned that. Sorry. Thank you. Um, sorry. Question for Claire. Uh, you mentioned that there was American money looking at the specialist sector. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that and what those kind of players are and who they might be? Because I don't think we've necessarily seen that many Europe. Uh, we've seen some European players, but but not not American. Well, the majority of, of American um, funds, um, private funds. Um, looking at the space are, uh, are looking at the older, older people's care sector, primarily because if, if this is the first investment you make in the UK market, it's much easier uh, for, for over 
few fires to get that around um, the place. Um, but um, um, you, I'm sure you're aware that at least two um, um, American organizations that sort of brought the professional care sector, but I can't obviously talk about all the people who are working on that now. But I, I accept that, that the, the vast majority of announced transactions um, by American private equity or American healthcare companies tend to be in the only people care market, particularly if it's their first investment. But certainly where, where that they have a, an existing healthcare organization in the US, they feel much more comfortable about um, investing in UK health and social care in the specialist care sector um, than uh, a property fund in REIT. But that, that, that's an important. But then, of course, there are, there are there's Chinese funds looking at this sector. There, there are um, lots of European uh, funds, um, both P and, and operators, that are looking at the specialist care sector. Um, one of the things that makes it attractive is, is, um, is the fact that it, it is um, very high, much higher barriers to entry. Uh, the properties you're purchasing in order to, grow, in order to keep to, to make um, your organic growth um, are, are just often very, very, very ordinary residential homes. So you're not constantly in massive plans the same way you can be in with, uh, with all the people care development, which would require large plots of land, more planning hurdles, more time to actually open the services. To a residential sporting living, learning facilities, and mental health. You, you, you can just buy a house and put it registered in CQC without a great deal of work in a much shorter time frame. And that is attractive to some investors. I'm trying to think. <laughs> uh, any, more, any more questions from the audience, please, on contributions? No? This is very quiet audience today. It's <laughs> <Maybe> the cold. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you very much indeed. Um, is there anything else that the panel would like to say before we? Wrap up and hand over the next panel. No, I think very, very full uh, explanation of what is coming from. So, um, on on um, behalf of the room, please thank you to our panelists. Thank you for listening to HIPod. If you found this episode interesting and want to hear more insights on the business of healthcare, you can subscribe via healthinvestor.co.uk.